All right, everybody, talk about it outdoors live in the Wilson studio. I'm your host, Alex DeBoard. Nick Wilson and I have got a fun one lined up for you tonight. When the tailgate drops, the bullshit stops, and we all about the tracking tonight. J.C. Elliott with On Track is here, and she's bringing the heat. Y'all pull up a chair and set a while. Nick, they always say if you can't run with the big dogs, stay on the porch. And uh, there's a time or two in both of our careers in hunting, we probably would have liked to have had a friend like JC around to pull up a chair and uh, track a while. Yeah, we, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Very sooner than, uh, not sooner. What, what was that? What was in say? more recent history more recent, than we would yes. like to admit. Yes, there you go. Thank you. <laughs> Yes, we. So uh, hopefully you'll never need me, but if you do, you know. <laughs> well, there's been there's been times in recent weeks that we could have used your services and used on track, and I know it's been a little while coming for us to get you on and do a show with you. And you've been hunting, you've been busy tracking, and we can't wait to dive off into what your experience has been with it. At 20 year old, you're making a name for yourself around the Midwest with Kentucky, Illinois. I'm sure you've been to Ohio and places all around that area, Tennessee. And I think it's going to be very neat for everyone to listen and get their take or get your take on exactly what a tracking dog is, what it does, and how to help it. So welcome to Talk About It Outdoors. Yeah, thanks for having me. Do you think that uh, when you first thought about doing a podcast, it was something that you were excited about or was it something that made you nervous? Because Alan Bullman with uh, Slate Media and Greater Half and – the 95 things that, that he does, um, he, he made mention, hey, I want you to do a show with her. I think it's something you'll really enjoy. She brings a lot of energy, and she's very knowledgeable. So was it something that you were excited for? Was it nerve-wracking, or what was the what was the whole deal there for you? Yeah, I guess all of the above. It's um, honestly something I've always wanted to do, but I never really knew what kind of route to take. And he actually told me you guys were doing a show with him, and I was like, you know, that's really cool. And then the next thing you know, um, you guys are wanting to do a show with me. So, yeah, I'm really excited. I think the biggest thing for us is it, coming from Georgia, there's a plethora of tracking dogs that are available on the GON forum. You see a list every year. They update it. They put it out. And, unfortunately, well, I'll say fortunately, I've never called <laughs> in a tracking dog to one of my um, shots in Georgia but there's probably been a need for it in the past for everyone around because people are all the time calling. They're like, Man, you know a tracking dog? Do you know somebody we can call or get in touch with? Because it's inevitable somebody's going to make a bad shot just like I have and need a dog. Yeah, I mean, it's honestly really crazy. I never thought there was so much of a need for it. I mean, we probably average about 40 calls a day, especially during the rut. Um, it, I mean, it's absolutely insane on how much of a need it is. And, I mean, it's not just us. I mean, there's plenty of tracking dogs in the area now. I mean, it's more and more coming up. And if we're getting that many calls a day, no telling how many they're getting. You know, I mean, it's just absolutely insane. Well, I think building a name for yourself with successful tracks and the Instagram following and everything that you guys are getting definitely speaks volume for what you're able to put out and, and be successful in finding folks as deer. So that helps. But before we dive off into that, I want you to take us back to the beginning of your outdoor career because not only are you a tracker, but you've also been a successful hunter yourself. So why don't you take us down the, the path that kind of led you to where you are now and take it all the way back to the beginning when you got involved in the outdoors. All right. So you guys are actually going to think this is really funny probably. And a lot of people don't know this about me, but uh, whenever I was younger, I was probably the preppiest girl you would have ever known. <laughs> 
Um, I was actually a hip hop dancer. I was a travel dancer, a national champ, actually. And I really didn't do anything with hunting whenever I was younger. My dad always tried to get me to go, but I was never interested. And then one day he said, um, all of a sudden he was getting ready to go hunting. And he was like, I said that I wanted to go. And he was like, are you sure? And I was like, yes, I want to go. And he was like, you're sure. And I was like, yep. And ever since then, I've been absolutely hooked. I mean, I just couldn't wait to go each time. I went with him hunting several times. And I actually um, killed my first buck whenever I was nine. Um, and actually, funny story, if I would have had a track dog then, I probably would have recovered my buck a lot sooner. I actually gut shot my deer, and it took me about a day and a half to find it. Um, actually, it ran in the back of a neighborhood. Um, I pushed it a long ways, and Coyote's got on as well. So only if I would have had a dog then. <laughs> um, but my dad and my grandpa um, really got me into it. And um, my grandpa actually passed a few years back now, and that's something that's just really kept me going and into it. Deer hunting was one of the things I did with him. So deer hunting and tracking, I mean, go hand in hand. And I think it just really keeps me going because it kind of brings me a memory of him and things like that. Well, do you get to hunt any now that you've got this? Full- I do get to hunt. I get to hunt more early season, I guess. Um, right now in November, it's really tough. But whenever gun season starts, um, I get to hunt a lot more because it's kind of hard to track during the daytime because there's just so many hunters out there and it can get pretty dangerous. Um, but I lose a lot of sleep, I guess. <laughs> now, you're based out of Kentucky, right? Right, yep. How many days on the road do y'all spend tracking it, it during the month of November, would you say? Oh, gosh. I mean, if we wanted to go all day, every day, we could. I mean, we never run out of calls. Um, but obviously, we get pretty wore down sometimes. I mean... We're on the road almost every day. I mean, for example, yesterday um, we tracked four in Illinois, and then after that we had a three-and-a-half-hour drive to Whitetail Heaven to their central lodge and tracked one, and we didn't get done until 5 a.m. And So, I mean, that was almost a full 24 hours of straight tracking. Um, now, y'all are running yeah. multiple dogs? Um, no, so, actually, I mean, sometimes. Actually, our main dog, Hank, he's a bloodhound. He's the one that kind of started started it for all of us um we have him and then we have a dog shooter he's a bavarian mountain hound and then we have a few of hank hank's pups um we haven't really done much with them yet but we plan to it's just really hard to get time um to do it all you know training and all that but we actually have a trainer dennis redden from um, around the kentucky lake area and he actually has my puppy right now she's a six-month-old bavarian mountain hound which is the same as shooter um and he helps us kind of train while we're staying on the road and busy and things like that. Now, you mentioned two different types of dogs there, and Nick and I both grew mm-hmm. up as as dog people. So most guys around home, they would get a, a reject mountain cur that wasn't a good squirrel dog, or they might get a, mm-hmm. a you know a reject coon dog, a walker, a blue tick, whatever. They may get right. um, a beagle that somebody's got and didn't want to turn it or try to turn it into a tracking dog, but... Do you feel those two dogs you mentioned are superior to most as it pertains to tracking and why? Um, I think the bloodhounds are um, definitely at the top of the line. Um, the Bavarian mountain hounds, we don't have a lot of experience with them right now. I mean, they can definitely find deer, but I'm not sure that they have the nose, to be honest, um, as a bloodhound does. The cold nose track, I guess. I mean, but they're gamey. Yes. Yeah. I mean, they can definitely track. They they say that they have the nose of a bloodhound, but I'm not 100%. I mean, 
Hank is definitely one of a kind. I don't know that we'll ever get another one like him, but I mean, Hank's the dog for sure. And I don't know if any other dog will ever top him. So it's kind of hard to compare whenever, you know, we have such a good one right now. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing that people get a, a misconception with. They could take any dog out there, but it takes a special dog. Just like with anything you're hunting, tracking, whatever, it takes that it one does, special yeah. dog to make it. And dogs, not all dogs have it in them. I mean, you just can't expect all dogs to want to track and like it, you know what I mean, and actually be able to do it. I mean, you have to give them a good run and see if they can or can't. So let's go into the very beginning stages of when you should decide to call in a dog. So I'm a hunter. I've made a shot on a deer. And at what point do I say, okay, I need to call a dog in on this one? Is it when you find blood first? Is it when you find sporadic blood? Or kind of take us through the thought process that goes into to you guys' thoughts. Okay, so basically whenever someone calls us, I mean, it's the worst thing already. You know what I mean? I mean, we're their last resort. We're their last hope, I guess, um, in which we don't want it to be like that, um, but that's how it is most of the time, you know, whenever someone calls us. Um, most of the time whenever people call, it's whenever they lose blood or they can't find blood at all um, or they jump their deer or something like that. Um, I guess basically we tell people to always watch the reaction of the deer, um, you know, see how they reacted after the shot and um, how far the distance have traveled of the deer and uh say if you shot it with um a bow you know what that arrow like if you look at your arrow that arrow is going to tell you a lot where exactly you hit that deer on how much time you need to give it and things like that too i mean there's a lot of things that i guess go into it that is going to you know make it to where if you need a dog i mean say if you hit back most of the time like in the gut area uh most of the time People probably, I mean, they can find their deer without us, but most of the time, like, the gut is going to, I guess, make the deer stop bleeding almost. Um, and most of the time, they just can't find it without us, you know, but that most of those deer don't go within 300 yards if they aren't pushed either. So, And I think that's the big <laughs> thing for, for people. If they feel like they've got a back shot or a questionable shot, there's no need in even going in. They need to wait and go ahead and call a dog ahead of time, it would probably make their life easier and your job easier as well. It would, yeah. But, I mean, as every hunter is going to, if they, they're always going to go look for blood, and whenever they get the last blood, they're probably going to look around there for a while. Um, but if you lose blood and you know that you probably can't, you know, get any farther, don't grid search, don't try to waller it all up. That just makes it that much harder for a dog. But kind of think of it like Hank or any dog can't see blood you know what i mean um and he doesn't have to have blood but it's just kind of like connecting the dots for him so say um you have five people out there where they all walk in different directions but they step in that blood or that scent that, that deer put out well they packed it that many different directions so that just takes it that much longer or that much harder for the dog to figure out and actually connect the dots to where that deer actually traveled if that makes sense explain to people what that dog is picking up on if there's no blood okay so whenever a deer um you know, is mortally wounded, they have a, in their back hoof, they put out a pheromone um, scent. And that's how um, dogs separate it between like a normal deer and the one we're after, you know. 
whenever they're um, they've been shot or hurt, they put out that scent in their backup, and that's how Hank tracks it. Because so he don't have to have blood at all, but he has that scent. But say um, the deer like wasn't hit like very good say it was high that deer's not going to put out that much of a scent because he's not mortally wounded but say he's in the gut like he's going to put out a ton of scent he just can't survive that so i mean that scent is just so strong for that dog to pick up on but if it was like a high shot or uh, just a shot that's not fatal that deer's not going to put out that much scent so how do you know that the dog's coming to the end of the track what's that how do you know, like, if Hank's coming to the end of the track? Like, say he's, you guys, he's went three hundred yards, and there's no blood, and he's just kind of what? What is? What do you know? What? What tells you that that deer is okay? Okay, so, um, usually we always try to get to the deer dead or alive, um, like as in jump them out of their bed or something like that. We always want to prove something to the hunter, but sometimes you know that's not an option if it isn't mortally wounded so we might track to a bed and hank just can't pick it up out of that bed well normally i mean that deer is pretty well healthy if he just can't hit off of anything past there if he can't advance it out of that bed or if this deer travels you know a mile and he just can't advance it anymore after that most likely that deer is healthy and it'll show back up on camera and i mean we've had that happen probably 25 times already this season so you think those deer can go well over a mile Oh, I, sometimes we chase them five, six miles a night. So if you have a wounded, I don't know, I don't even know what kind of wound you want to talk about, maybe just a flesh wound and you guys are tracking it, is that deer typically going in one straight line or is he trying to get back to bed, um, his home? Um, yeah, so, like, it, we kind of see a big difference sometimes. Um, so, like, basically, most of the time that deer is never going to make a 90, a hard 90. It's going to make a straight line. Um, and we um, use Onyx a lot. That's a really helpful tool whenever we're tracking. I mean, if you watch that and where you've been, say you, we've lost blood or something, it kind of helps us if we can't see any blood physically. We know Hank's probably on, but that, that line, if we're just kind of straight line and we didn't take a hard 90, you know, right or left, we know that we're probably on that deer. That deer's never going to turn unless the terrain changed or, you know, that deer bedded and you change directions after that. Um, you know, most likely it's going to be a straight line and usually they'll make a big three mile circle, kind of like a rabbit. Um, and in the rut, we see a kind of a big difference sometimes because that deer's trying to go back home. So it's going to be way more of a straight line, like way out of there because I mean, most likely they're far from home, you know? I didn't think about that, but they always make a big circle like a rabbit. Not always, but most of the time, yes. Okay, okay, that makes sense. I mean, I've had it a lot of times where we'll run them right past the truck where we parked or, you know, right underneath our deer stand or something crazy like that. I mean, it's a weird, crazy how much they circle back. Now, do y'all keep track of the, I'm sure you do, of the tracks you go on as far as the mileage and kind of do a comparison at the end of the season and say the average deer traveled with this wound X amount of yards or the, you know, if a gut shot deer yeah, – yeah think that's interesting yeah. yeah um we save all of our tracks on onyx i mean every time we get to a track we start our onyx tracker and we end it after we find the deer and so say a gut shot i mean like i said earlier gut shot deer is probably not going to go but 300 yards and bed up um as long as he isn't pushed and they'll probably die right there 
Or, you know, sometimes it could be farther. They usually crave water, so they might straight line to water, and it might be a mile. I mean, I've seen them go, you know, farther than that even. I mean, these deer have the will to live. Um, I mean, it's just absolutely insane. But, I mean. It, it seems it, like the Midwest deer have more of a will to live than the deer from Georgia here. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy, especially in the rut. I mean, these deer are tough. I'm waiting on you. Uh, you uh, just carrying on. <laughs> um, sorry, I was trying to read off my paper here. How far have you tracked the furthest deer? Um, like actually recovered the deer. Yes. Um, Lord, I don't know. I mean, I know it's been several miles. For instance, um, so say like scent conditions are were really bad. Like earlier this season, our first track ever was in Tennessee. Um, it, we had already had a hard rain. It was like 36, 38 hours later after the shot, you know, this, it had been grid searched. I mean, it's just hard as can be on the dog and it just was took forever. Well, we actually ended up walking 11, 11 something miles, 11 point, maybe like three miles and just trying to work it out. I mean, people don't realize how long it, it can actually take. I mean, Usually on a normal track, we might do, like, be there for three hours. And we can go about 1.3 miles an hour. Um, I couldn't tell you the exact mileage on a recovery. It's a long damn way. (laughs) Yeah, it's out there for sure. All right, so here's a question. So I've shot a deer with a bow. I've got decent blood. I'm tracking him along. I jump him. What do I do? I want a dog. Back I know up. I need a dog. What I need to do? Yeah, I mean, if you you jump that deer, you back out immediately and you, you call a dog. I mean, some people, you know, wait and wait for the next morning, give that deer time, and go back in there, and they might find it. But most likely, after you push a deer, I mean, you're. I mean, I guess I can't say your chances are low, but most pretty low in most cases. You jump him. Yeah, yeah. All right, so I've got rain coming in that night. Is that going to affect mm-hmm. Hank? It depends on how much rain. So think of it like baby powder. So whenever it's really hot and dry, it and it's windy, it's going to blow away. But whenever you got a little bit of moisture, it's going to stick. But if you have too much moisture, it's going to wash away. Okay. So a washed out scent yeah. is, you know, we, you get two inches, three inches overnight, it's probably going to wash that trail out and be gone. Correct. Yeah. But if you got a light rain, you know, a little mist or something, be perfectly fine. It actually helps. So it's better to track in, in, in with a mist or a low, uh, high humidity, you know, a fog, something settles in, it holds that scent with to the ground. moisture, yeah. Mm-hmm. Is Hank leashed or, or is he free? Um, in Kentucky, we have to have him leashed at the wall. Okay. And that goes, I guess that's just state dependent? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh, that's weird. Yeah, all states are different. I guess just because it's in season. Of course, yeah. you wouldn't want to get him shot neither if it's during the day. Well, you know, and right, and I mean, it could be really dangerous too if he was to run up on a buck and it was still alive. You know, he doesn't have that kind of fighting ability like a like a cur dog or something like that would. You know, what in Illinois? I'm trying to think how to word this. So, you can't track during the day on state ground in Illinois, correct? 
high. I couldn't tell you for sure, to be honest. I'm pretty uh, sure that's that's what we were told this year, that if you were on state ground, you could only track after hunting hours. It's a over. good possibility. I mean, most of the time, either we're tracking at night unless I'm at private ground because, I mean, you got all the surrounding hunters. We don't want to mess anybody up, you know what I mean? What's the average time you guys get a call? Night? Um, it's all, it's usually, I mean, it's all day during this time of the year. Um, I mean, it, all day, all night, you know? <laughs> what, let's, let's just go through like, uh, different scenarios of where somebody shot a deer and what you guys okay. recommend. Let's, um, right. let's say, I, you know, I call you, I say, Hey, I think I hit it in the front shoulder, but I didn't see it go down. How long are you telling all me right. to wait? Uh, shoulder shot. I mean, protocol with a dog is you get on an ASAP. Uh, most likely they're, they're going to bed up quick and you can get on them pretty quick. Um, but after, you know, they lay up for a while, they're going to lay there and heal up with their wound and most likely be just fine unless you, I mean, got, say, with a bow or, or something or even a gun, you got enough penetration somewhere and got into something good, you know. Mm-hmm. But most likely with a shoulder shot, odds are very against you. I'm sure you guys don't get a whole lot of calls on heart or double lung shots. So Right, yeah. We, if they're double lung, most of the time they're going to find them there. So. <laughs> yeah, we won't say that. So let's just say midway's back. Um I don't know. Liver. Liver, yeah. Yeah, so liver is usually um, about six to eight hours. Um, and with that shot, along with gut, is they're going to crave water. Um, so usually, you know, you back out immediately if you know you have that and give the deer time, and they shouldn't go but 300 yards. With, that's with liver and gut. Um, but say that it was intestines, sometimes that can be, I mean, a two- to three-day kill. Um, I mean, it's a long long time i'm gonna ask this for my own good just because this happened to us if you hit intestines, right. if you hit intestines or if you hit gut are they gonna bleed like they would if it was a liver shot or a front shoulder shot um no so most of the time so say it was in a shoulder you're probably going to get in some kind of muscle that muscle wounds bleed the most so say if somebody calls us and they say they have tracked this year 500 yards already and they, they just have blood everywhere we'd rather them say they have no blood at all because usually whenever they say they have a ton of blood, um, you know, odds are kind of against them, believe it or not. Um, but say if they have no blood, that, that's great. Honestly, we'd rather hear that. Um, but say if it was, you know, back in the guts or intestines, they're probably not going to have a lot of blood. They might have it 50, 60 yards and it kind of peers out. Um, so. Now those back legs, even though there's no vitals there, can be very lethal with that main artery, Correct. Correct. Yeah, and we've had that several times. Um, but they still will go a long ways, right? Actually, um, I tracked two this year, and it was actually above the shoulder there in the main artery that runs through there. And we've tracked them a little over a mile, both of them, and they just bled out. But the reason the people needed to track is because that deer had doubled back or doubled across his own track and just made it so confusing where they just couldn't figure it out themselves. And so um, – we got on them, and them, I mean, those deer just actually bled out. And you said that was front and back main artery. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Where else could you shoot one neck? Maybe I guess you neck shot would probably bleed like hell with all that stuff that's that's in the neck going. Uh, up to... Yeah, and I mean that artery goes through there. I mean, I've seen a lot of deer survive neck shots too. If they don't cut into something, I mean, most likely it's their that deer's gonna live. So here, here's something the guy asked us when we called him on the phone. He asked us about, did it make a pass-through? 
and it yeah. did, and it did not it didn't make a pass through, but we were able to see a lot of blood on the side of it, um, just because the situation where we was hunting. But it didn't make a pass through, and it made a lot of sense. I believe the arrow deflected inside there, causing it to maybe either stop bleeding, um, or anything like that. So, is that one of the common questions you guys ask if it's a pass through shot? Yes, no doubt. Pass through, and then how many inches of penetration you got? That's a very important. Sure. That's awful, you know, interesting to the situation we were in, how quickly that deer bedded up. It yep. it sounded like it sounded like liver intestines yep. from what she's saying, doesn't Probably it? Probably liver and gut cutting back and, and so we tracked Did you we, guys recover this deer? We did not. So we he oh. shot the he shot the deer. Uh-huh. The deer I was sitting on the other side of the field, so I watched the whole thing go down. The deer maybe ran eighty yards and fell face forward. And he forward. jumped up. And as he was, when he jumped, when he got back up, he was kind of jumping like a, a non-hurt deer, like he just jumped, jumped out of the bed, you know, he was kind of high bouncing. Mm-hmm. And from that point, what was that first blood we found? Maybe 200 yards? Oh, it wasn't that far from, from where he laid down? Yeah. No, from where, oh, you talking? From, I'm talking about from where we found the first blood and started tracking to where we oh, jumped yeah, about, him. about 175, 200 yards, yeah. I would say, and at that, most. And that's where we jumped him. Yeah. And, and he took off, and the only thing he was running through was a cut, soybean field and really so we left we backed out we can't, went back the next day we found where he bedded up there wasn't that much blood and there was about 10 foot of blood mm-hmm. past where he jumped out and that was it and we walked 7.3 miles according to my phone and we checked every ditch line creek line we went back to the bedding area it came from and we never found nothing did y'all checked on everything with water around there we did yep we checked everything that we possibly <laughs> could think of and um we actually called that Dean guy that I was telling you about, uh-huh. and and he wasn't mad at us. He was just kind of educated us. He was like, he's like, you should have called me before, and want, you know, just yeah. like you said, you shouldn't. We shouldn't be in there looking. We shouldn't be doing the grid search. No, yeah. As soon as you think you need a dog, you call because I just, uh, I mean, we can definitely figure it out. That just hurts you more, you know. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know where the deer ended up. My dad stayed there three extra days and never seen no buzzards or anything. So. So you uh, didn't get a pass through though? Nope, because um we think he got a deflection because he was ground hunting. We think he got a deflection okay. off a twig. And mm-hmm. uh we and I seen the blood all over the deer side, but no, we never recovered it and it was it was kinda it was sad because it was a huge deer, it was the biggest deer that guy had ever shot. And that deer just ran for eighty yards and stopped and then dropped in the front end? Yeah, he the, went the first down. the first time, yes. Like he was like he was like about to fall on his face and he did after he first shot him. And then he got back up, like as soon as he fell down, and he jumped off, and then he laid back down another two hundred yards. So altogether, he probably went three hundred yards. Did he slow walk after he had fell? Or no, he no, run? he was he was high jumping, like like you like a f- fresh deer just jumped out of bed. Huh. I, it makes me wonder after thinking back on that. Or anything I, like I that? wasn't paying attention. I was looking to the. I was looking at it, at the body. And I was just paying attention to all the blood on his side because he had blood all over him. And it looked like the shot was basically midway between the front and back leg and basically mm-hmm. midway between the, the spine and the bottom of the stomach. Um, and that's Shoot. that's where all the blood was. But I never, I, I think the arrow come out, we never found the arrow because it's a basically a grown-up pasture. Yeah. It's almost like the arrow came out where we found that first blood where you saw him fall. Mm-hmm. And it's probably in that area there somewhere where he plowed up. And he had that right. arrow out of him, so he thought, all right, I'm good now. It ain't hurting me no more. And he kind of bounded off. 
and it could, but it's so hard, and you as a hunter can can vouch for this. When you find blood, uh-huh. it is so hard to just, and there was a good group of us there. I mean, we wanted to find that deer that night. I mean, we had waited almost, we had waited almost four hours. Uh-huh. And, um. It was just like like Alex said, and the guy that shot it actually told us before we went in, or told me, he's like, "Let's go in there, find a blood market, and come back in the morning." But we got yep. in there, and we got excited, and we wanted to go after it, and that got the best of us. And we should we should have listened to what he'd said earlier. Well, yeah, I know it's hard whenever you don't know, and I mean, whenever you're just so excited, you just want to get there. You know, you felt good about it, and then all of a sudden, it just it's like, what the heck, you know? When you see a deer <laughs> like, face plant that like myself. that. When he only goes 80 yards and he falls down and then he gets back up, you think, you know, I was thinking more lung, back lung, you know, liver, whatever, and I didn't think he would take that long. So never crossed my mind that we would actually jump him going in there. Right, right. So that's crazy. But I know now that I will not go back in there unless it's been eight hours and we made that promise to each other. If we don't see that deer fall, I don't care where we shoot it at. If we don't see it fall, I'll let the coyotes eat it up before I let before I risk a buck like that again. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I feel you for sure. I mean, even sometimes those gut shots. I mean, I've seen them alive up to twenty four hours later. It's just insane. Here's some, here's something. <laughs> I'm I'm sure why you're doing this. The people because you're around different people all the time. How mm-hmm. are people's emotions out there when they're dealing with it? Um. Actually, the other day, this is kind of funny. Um, it's not funny, actually. It's really interesting. <laughs> but I shot a buck, and I think he was around 160s, and I actually shot high, and I did not recover my buck. This was actually three days ago. And it really reminded me on how patient I need to be with these hunters and how understanding I need to be with these hunters because I felt like I couldn't remember anything about my shot, you know, where that deer was standing or anything. And, like, sometimes – it's just like how they not remember, but it's just like all those emotions are going through these people. And I mean, some people are on the edge of crying and some people are just, I, I don't know, every, everybody's different. But I mean, it just really reminds you on just how, how it really is. And it's just crazy, you know, what, what these deer do to us. That's right. You're exactly right. And I think that's an interesting point that you're not necessarily a tracker a hundred percent of the time you are a hunter. So you understand the emotional struggle when it comes to a hunter making a bad shot and how often, and I know for me, it's probably one of the hardest things to do. How often do you find it where people struggle to admit that they've made a bad shot on a deer? That's a good one. Honestly, um, people are getting a lot better, but they, they have. And one thing we ask hunters to do is be honest. No matter what it is, I mean, they just need to be up front with it because it's going to help us that much more on how we need to approach it and how much time we need to give this deer, you know, how we need to go about this track. And some people are, you know, embarrassed that they've shot it in the gut or they think they hit it in the leg. But, I mean, you just got to be honest, especially if you want to recover your deer. I mean, you just got to tell the truth. But some people are just really embarrassed. And, I mean, I get it. Nobody wants to make a bad shot at all i mean it's not fun but it happens you know i mean nobody's perfect (laughs) um i'm sure this question could probably get a lot of heat but do you track more deer from mechanicals or fixed blades or do you ask that question um yeah yeah we ask that question and um 
a lot of mechanicals, um, raised broadheads being one of them. And on a gun side of things, 6.5 is um, everybody's go-to, it seems like. And, um, yeah, that that's <laughs> – I don't want to hate on nobody. And, oh, and you're fine. Like that, but, yeah, raised broadheads um, and 6.5 is uh, a lot of answers we get commonly. And that, that is a question you guys ask if it, what it was shot with, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, whenever things are getting difficult, I mean, we we ask what arrow, you know, how much weight are you pulling, or you know, just so, there's so many questions that can go into it that'll help us figure out something. What's a, what's some a, people don't even know. What's a question you guys ask that we haven't asked you? Um, what do you ask? What do you ask if we call? What's one of the common questions you might ask? We would ask. I mean, I guess it just kind of depends on you know. I guess one of the big things we ask is how that deer reacts whenever it ran off. Kind of mm-hmm. like how I asked you a second ago, you know, did that deer bolt off? Did it run 50 yards and slow walk? Did he have his tail tuck? Did, ha- did his tail flicker? Um, or, you know, how high up were you in the tree? Um, how far was that deer? You know, that can really help us figure out, you know, where exactly you might have hit that deer, you know. Um there's just so many questions. I guess kind of just depends on what they tell us on how, what route we go and what we ask. Are y'all making any videos on YouTube to help folks out or, or just trying to do podcasts and stuff? Yeah, we are actually. We were starting YouTube this year and uh, sadly we lost all of our footage. Oh no, really? Season. Yeah, our computer like had some something wrong with it. I'm not really sure what happened then. Actually, we got some news back today that some of our footage was going to be recovered, but we don't know that if it's any even good footage. You know what I mean? I mean we record everything, so we got, we're going to have to go through every little thing and see if we're going to get all of it back or not. Go ahead, Nick. How far will you guys travel? Um, personally, by myself, I've traveled five hours one way to Ohio. Um, it kind of just depends. I mean, we have to make it worth our while, especially during the rut, um, cause we can miss so much money back at home. So, I mean, it's definitely can get pricey to travel, especially during this time of the year. Um, because I mean, we might have five here local, so we have to make up that money whenever we travel, if that makes sense. Well, take us through the prices real quick. Okay. Um, so say if it's local, um, which is within the hour for us, we're going to charge 300 and Usually after that, um, it's a dollar a mile. Um, you know, right now, sometimes during the rut, we might do uh, 300 to show up, 100, extra 100 for recovery because, I mean, it was such high demand. Golly, bum. I'd I, mean, I would have never thought that much. No, and, and I'll tell you, it doesn't surprise me. It, it, it surprised I mean, me. It's that we, demand. Yeah, but with the demand, goodness gracious. I mean, we would never want to go out and take somebody's money, and that's one thing we tell them. That's why we ask so many questions when we're on the phone. We want to make sure their chances of recovery are high. We don't want to come just take your money or nothing like that. I mean, and if we show up, we're going to work and work and work, and most likely we might spend three hours there, if not longer, to try to make sure. I mean, we did not miss one thing. I mean, if you miss one thing, that can mess up the whole entire thing. You know what I mean? So you got to make sure you cover every inch and try to everything you can possibly do to get that buck in the truck. Um I mean, boy, that'd be a hell of a pill to swallow, wouldn't it? $300 and never find if you found that. Well, but that's what I was about to say. What is the average time frame of successful recovery? Um, so usually 
Um, you, you, you dropped the hour. Oh, really? We're going to find it. If not, I mean, and there's things that go into this. I mean, if a cow is pushing this deer, or if there's deer did circles, or, you know, uh, some kind of figure eight, it's going to definitely take longer. But, I mean, mostly, if it's dead, we're probably going to find it within the hour. If not, we're probably going to spend three hours there, if not longer, trying to work it out. And like I said earlier, we go about 1.3 miles an hour, usually. That's and, then that, and I asked that because you're going to have people that are always going to think that they're better than the dog or that they can, they don't need a dog. I don't need a tracking dog. Yeah. I don't need to call them in. And then it gets For to sure. the point where, well, I got to call a dog in. And mm-hmm. do you have a lot of the naysayers? I don't know if we're going to find it. I don't know. I just, I don't know. Do you get a lot of that? Yeah, we do. And a lot of people lose confidence, especially whenever we don't have blood. Um, I mean, I get it. It's hard. I mean, the other day, I mean, I, I literally track a deer deer every single day. And whenever we were tracking my own deer, I, it put me back in the hunter's shoes. You know what I mean? I get why they're like this. I mean, it's just whenever you don't know and you don't track every day behind a dog and you don't have blood for two miles, people are like, what the heck? You know, and I can get why their confidence would go down. But we know how to read Hank and how to talk to Hank. And that's where that dog and handler comes, you know, together as one. And I- um that's a big thing because it is anybody I mean, that's dealt with dogs know you know your dog you know its tendencies you know how he's going to react to certain situations does hank give signals kind of like when he gets excited does he have a, a signal that he's his tail get to wagging fast or does he just pretty is he just slow um, and steady some kind of things um that we look for in hank so whenever hank gets off he goes left um or he might pee or something like that whenever he's off um, but whenever he's on, he's usually nose popping like crazy. You can just hear his nose just going, going, going. And, um, I mean, it depends on how much scent is there, how fast he's going. And if we jump that deer, I mean, he's pulling like crazy. You can barely hold on to him. And he's usually barking after we jump the deer. Um, he doesn't usually bark unless the track is really fresh or if we jump the deer. That's what I was about to ask. Was he open on track or was he closed on track? Does he jump on, does he bark on other uh, deer in the area? No, just whenever we jump that one deer that we're after. That's amazing. It is. We'll we'll hold him back and check him to be sure. And um, if he looks back at us, like over his shoulder, then we know he's kind of unsure. So we'll go back and reset. But if, I mean, he's just out on it, usually he'll lay down on it or just sit there and just bark and bark and bark until we let him go again. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of signals that Hank will tell us, you know. You just really got to know your dog. I mean, that's 40% handler, probably 60% dog. But if you don't know your dog, then you just, it's not good, I guess. <laughs> so let's say Johnny up the road here hears this podcast. And he says, you know, I'm a, I like to hunt, but I love working with dogs. Uh-huh. What would be a piece of advice that you could give someone that would want to get into the tracking game? I, I mean, I'm going to think about this. A girl was asking me this the other day. Um, is there a good place to send, uh, while you're thinking about that, is there a good place to send a dog to get trained? Yeah, so like uh, earlier I mentioned Dennis Redden. That's who actually, um, Lance Brantley trained Hank himself, who owns on track. He actually trained Hank himself. Um, but now that we're so busy, it's hard for us to, you know, train our own dogs. So we send our dogs to Dennis Redden. Um, 
down by the lake, Kentucky Lake area, and he does all of our dog training. Gotcha. But I guess the biggest thing that I would tell someone um, for training a dog is that you have to keep it fun for the pup. You know, always leave them a reward at the end. Show them you're excited so they know that that's what you want them to do. Um, we always save, you know, blood or deer legs, something like that, and after we kill them and make mock lines for them. And, you know, you want to start them short to begin with and then make them longer as you go. Then eventually, you know, throw some 90-degree turns in them and start aging them. So, like, start them on it, you know, two hours or four hours or after you made it and so on. And then another thing you could do is walk across the lines. You know, like a person, where they lose life's blood, they're going to walk across there a million times looking for that another drop of blood. Well, whenever you make a moth line, you could walk across your own track a million times so they know they can be able to work through that, if that makes sense. Absolutely. They can yes. learn to connect the dots. Because in real scenarios, whenever people are looking for the deer, you know, they're going to pass that scent or blood a million directions trying to look for their deer. So you just want to make it realistic. Hank riding the front seat or the fun. back seat? What's that? Does Hank ride in the front seat or the back seat? Oh, no. We we have uh, him sectioned off in the back. <laughs> oh, I figured he rode up front. Well, I bet that joker gets a smelling awful. I doubt he's oh, up front. Yeah. <laughs> them bloodhounds, are, they're, they're notorious for smelling pretty rough, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, they are, I'm afraid. I, I would do anything to be able to cuddle a tank every night, but uh, I don't think I'm going to do all that. Yeah, they're pretty, they're, they're, they're bigger, you know, more docile dogs. Now, as far as uh, aggression goes with him, does he, do you ever worry about that being around strange people and going and tracking? No, uh, no. Hank's uh, definitely a people person. I mean, but whenever he gets to work, I mean, he don't pay attention to nothing. All right, here's an interesting question. You've showed up to track a deer for me. I, there's three or four people around. Do you guys, and I'm sure you do, but I want the answer. Do you prefer, or do you tell people, don't talk to him, don't pet him, don't do anything, stay away from the dog? Uh, we just, the main thing we tell them is just to stay back, you know, especially whenever uh, after we've like passed their last blood, we kind of ask them to stay at the last blood we found. So we can always kind of look back at them and kind of check out to make sure we're you know, kind of in the right direction, or if we ever have to reset Hank, if he gets off, we bring him back. But just the main thing is just stay back kind of, you know, 50, 100 yards out of our way just in case, you know, that deer wants to turn or circle or Hank needs to reset himself. But, I mean, as far as petting him, I mean, obviously whenever he's tracking, don't mess with him. But, I mean, before or after we start the track, you know, you can love on him, whatever you want to do. I mean, I've seen plenty of grown men kiss Hank. <laughs> I'm sure. I bet they have at the end of that track. Oh, you cost yeah. me $300, you son of a gun, but I love you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I guess you guys have probably tracked some deer for some pretty big-name people. Um. Yeah, yeah, we have. We have. Yeah, she hung up on me the first time I talked to her. I got to go. I got to get this. This is, I don't remember who it was. She's like, I got to, I got to, I'll have to call you back, Alex. And I was like, okay, go get it, girl. <laughs> Yeah, it was uh, supposed to be for Riley Green, but it actually wasn't. It was for his partner, Greg Camp. So what's the biggest deer that you guys have, have found for someone thus far? Um, I think the biggest one is 228, God 2.4. Almighty. And then I think we found another one earlier this season that's pushing 200. I don't know if it actually broke 200, but uh, it was definitely a stud. You dropped sure. some pins on that? The money well spent. <laughs> money well spent. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Now, do you get a lot of calls from outfitters, or is it mostly individuals? 
Yeah, um, tons of outfitters for sure. I mean, I would say, honestly, most of the people we track for are out-of-staters, believe it or not. I mean, that's actually crazy to me, but it's a lot of out-of-staters. Well, you got to think about it. They've already a lot of people. They've already invested that much money in. They're already, exactly. you know, they're wanting to go ahead and spend an extra three, four, five hundred dollars, whatever, to get to get that deer because they're already invested in it. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of people think that money is just, I mean, just outrageous to come track a deer. But if you think about it, you spent, you know, thousands on your lease, you know, thousands on cameras, you know, sands, just bows, all these things, and you shoot this deer. Why on earth would you want to leave that thing in there? And it's not like we're just trying to charge you to charge you. I mean, we don't get to see anybody, you know, our family, our friends. We lose a lot of sleep, and we don't get to hunt ourselves. I mean, we have to make it worth our while. I mean, this is our full-time job in the fall. And I'll um, say this for, for what you just said. The amount of time that goes into training that dog goes way beyond the season. It's Exactly. Not, I mean, it's not just the fall. Yeah, and it's not just throwing a dog out. You know, you've, you've got – traveling for gas and i'm sure you guys have spent many a night sleeping in the truck instead of grabbing a hotel if you're out of town you may have hotel expenses you may have uh you know you've got feed costs for for your dogs i mean that all that stuff adds up and when you add it out constantly and yeah i'd I'd be sick as a dog as much as y'all have to eat out i bet y'all carry a lot of snacks with you yeah i mean you would never think that you want a home-cooked meal so bad in your life. <laughs> I bet insane. you would, too. I, I get so tired of eating out and eating at gas stations and things like that. I mean, I'm dying for a home-cooked meal, as we speak. <laughs> so you're on the road now? I'm not. I'm actually, I since I'm still in school, I had to do homework tonight. Gotcha. Now, you could yep. get, are you on call pretty much 24-7? Yeah, I mean, it's it's nonstop. I mean, if somebody calls me at 1 a.m., I'm going to answer. Pretty pretty good determination there. What would you say is the future for you, J.C., as far as it comes with the tracking? Is this something that you want to pursue an endeavor for yourself, or will you stay with OnTrack for the extended period? Oh, I'll no doubt stay with OnTrack. I would never split from Lance. I'll give everything that I know about tracking um, to Lance. I mean... I'll be a satellite tracker for him once my puff Remy is finished. Um, yeah, I mean, I no doubt wouldn't be where I am today or know what I know without Lance. I, I can't thank him enough for, you know, taking me under his wing, basically. I mean, I I bought a T-shirt from him, and I messaged him on Facebook the first time I ever went on a track, and I was like, I really want to go on a track. And he was like, come on. And he honestly didn't think I would last, um, <laughs> believe it or not. And now three years later, here I am. <laughs> Well, and that's good. You know, you've got to drive an ambition for it because how many young people really want to give up their hunting season like that? I don't. I mean, I've always thought, man, as much as I like dogs, I'd get me a tracking dog. That'd be fun until somebody calls me in the middle of November right in the heat of the rut and I need to track a deer. Well, sorry, buddy. I can't. I'm hunting. No, I know. I mean, it's very, very hard, but I will say it is just as addicting to me. I mean, you get to make people, you know, year day whatever i mean you could see these people's reactions you know some of these deer mean so much more than just a deer you know it's connecting to a loved one or something like that i mean just seeing these things i mean it's just so addicting and just seeing the deer you get to see i mean no deer is the same and every track is different i mean i just think it's so fun you learn so much about deer as well i mean just on these tracks you know the way they run the wind you know their bedding areas their patterns i mean how it changes i mean it's just you just learn so much while you're out in the woods, I just 
you know, I wouldn't trade it for nothing, to be honest. I mean, it's just as fun to hunt, as hunting is to me. Is Merriam, Illinois, within an hour of you? Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's where oh. I spent most of my day yesterday. <laughs> All right. Good deal. Good to know. <laughs> hope I don't need you. <laughs> yeah, that's what I always tell people. They're like, um, we're always like, hope to never see you again, but see you too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'm sure that's probably a common a common conversation when you find a deer for someone. They're like, man, I don't ever want to go through this again. And how many repeat is, customers do you get? A few, actually. We've already had some this year. Um, and, I mean, it is crazy, too. I mean, how many deer we track more than once a year? Like, these deer might have been shot three times by three different people, and we've tracked it all three times, and they're still living. <laughs> Whoa, now that's something interesting. Big deer, I guess. It is. Here's a question. Yeah. You go to mm-hmm. somewhere like, uh, let's just say you're up in Illinois, and you guys track to the property line. Do you ask the hunter to go get permission? If he hasn't already? Yeah, that that goes back to one of the questions I meant to say earlier. Whenever um, you asked me what questions do we ask them, you know, uh-huh. that's one of the questions. You know, do you, can you go ahead and get permission on all the surrounding properties in the area, you know, uh, make sure you have permission so we don't have to worry about that when we get there or have to pull off the track and leave a dead deer. Gotcha. Have you ever had an altercation arise with a, with a landowner that maybe they said they have permission but they didn't? Uh, no, and I hope I never do. Knock on wood. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Surprisingly, <I> mean, no. <laughs> I would, I would think that, you know, and I listened, I talked, talked to Dustin today for, for a little while with between the times. And he told me about what happened in Missouri with them and Missouri's a right to retrieve state and they tracked to the property line and they waited on the guy to get out of the woods and ask him, Hey man, I shot a deer. It ran on your property. Would love to go over and find it. And he told him, you're not going anywhere on my property. They called the game warden. Yeah. They called the sheriff. Everybody out there, and he's like, "No, you're not going on there. Go get a warrant if you want to find your deer." I mean, it was yep. at that point. And you don't, you know, as an outdoorsman, why would you do that to somebody? I mean, you're really exactly. taking. You never know when you're going to be in that person's shoes, and you're going to need to cross their property line. That landowner told him. Dustin said that landowner told him, "I got your number, buddy. Don't worry." Yep. Said you better not never call me for nothing. So exactly. I just don't understand. You know. I, People get, There's a lot of people out there like that. Oh, I'm sure, and and we've ran into them. I mean, it's but I, and I don't I've, get it. If you have a 200 inch deer or something like that, and you don't want somebody over there, but I mean, think about if you know you were the one to shoot that 200 inch deer and it ran over on your neighbor's property, you're going to want to recover that thing. And I mean, you never know when you you might be that guy, so you need to be friends with your neighbors. <laughs> That's right. Well, I'm sure. Uh, we're kind of winding this thing up towards the end, and, and Nick's got a couple of questions he always asks. I hope he's got something special lined up for this one. Well, <laughs> I've actually really enjoyed this, and I think it's going to be very helpful for people because people do need to back out if if the deer's not – if the deer's not yep, – if they didn't out, see – Yeah, if they, if, they, if they didn't see it go down, they need to be backing out, and they need to be waiting as, as, as excited as someone can get. And I've been there multiple times, and I hate to admit it um, – but they need to take. They just need to take that advice and listen to somebody, even if it's a phone call to you or their local tracker, just to get some advice and take that advice. That's what I was about to say. Even if you don't think you need a dog, but just even for some advice, don't hesitate. You know, call a tracker. They're going to be more than happy to help you. I mean, we're all about recovering deer. We're not just here to you know come take your money or whatever. I mean, we want to make sure everybody recovers their deer. And so, if you have to talk to us on for an hour on the phone about you know your deer, then so be it. We'll do it. You know. I'm going to ask this question for my own peace of mind and, and 
for for the buddy of mine's peace of mind. From what I told you about that deer, do you think that deer's alive or dead? Uh, from I mean, sometimes whenever it's gut shot, they do go down the front end. I've never really heard of one falling. Um, but I mean, if you know you kind of for sure hit back, it, it it's no doubt a dead deer. But I, I it's got me kind of confused on why that deer would have fell like that. And then he never, you know, slow walk. You know, he said he kind of just ran out of there. And usually a gut shot is gonna, you know, run for a little ways and slow walk most of the time. We're kind of hunch up. You know, if it was liver, gut. So I honestly can't say. And I mean, if you had pictures of blood or your arrow or something like that, that'd help me out a little more. But even with it, not a pastor, I mean, even if it did deflate, I don't, I don't know. That one's not. Yeah, I know. That's kind of what we. That's kind of what we thought. We we're almost thinking it might have been more of a high, like a high tenderloin, and maybe it, the blood that I did see was bleeding down. I don't know. But. Yeah, and usually whenever it's high, that's why a deer drops like that because they're temporarily paralyzed. Mm-hmm. I mean, just the other day, my little brother um, called me, you know, dang near in tears and saying, "I need Hank, I need Hank," and I'm like, "What's going on?" And he was like, "I shot a buck. I I went up. I had my hands out and everything. I had my rack in its hands, and it got up and ran away. Oh my and god! And luckily, he got another shot in it and hit it in the gut. And we ended up tracking that deer and finding it 860 yards later. But he hit that deer high in the spine. That's why it dropped like that, and it paralyzed him enough for him to get his hands on him and everything. Wow. That's crazy. And usually whenever it's like that, those deer aren't dead. So it's really hard for me to say on yours, to be honest. Yeah. Well, I always I always ask everybody, and Alex kind of asked you a second ago a piece of advice. Um, but what, what is there any other piece of advice, and it doesn't have to pertain to tracking dogs, just everyday hunting? Everyday hunting. Um, play your wind. That's your biggest thing. Um, moon phases. Um Let's see. I mean, your barometer is going to be a big thing. Your minors and majors are a big thing. Um, a lot of people, you know, don't look into that, but it is a big part of it. Um, especially, you know, any type of hunt, not just deer hunting, but just all types of hunting. Okay. Um, and just when in doubt, back out, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Where can people uh, find any of the information they need about on track? Um, so we actually have a website called on track canine deer recovery dot com and on our Facebook um is on track canine deer recovery services as well as our Instagram and YouTube. They're all the same. <laughs> what are you most thankful for? What am I most thankful for? Yes, ma'am. The life I get to live at twenty years old, to be honest. I was just talking about this the other day. I I'm very, very blessed to be able to live the life that I do at twenty years old. I get to spend almost every single day in the woods, meeting new people, um, seeing big deer every day, you know, just spending my time in the woods. I mean, I don't have to go work an office job like most people do or anything like that. I mean, I'm very blessed to be able to do this. And I, and I get to travel and hunt tons of places, you know, meet a lot of new girls in the industry. And I'm just very blessed from what I get to do. I mean, I never would have thought that, you know, I will I guess in this position at this age I mean I guess I'm fulfilling my dreams as a little girl you know well great answer <laughs> JC I appreciate you coming on I appreciate you sharing the information that you know and um no, yeah, thanks it, for it having. sounds like you're gonna have a very bright future in this and hope I don't never need you <laughs> <laughs> hopefully not hopefully not <laughs> well real quick I want you to tell everybody beyond the 
tracking side of things, what's the next move for you? Because you and I have kind of had some conversations around some of your future endeavors. Do you have anything lined out yet, or is it just going to be a surprise for everybody? You know, I mean, honestly, I, I've always just wanted to be different. I don't want to do what everyone else does. I've, you know, I hate just following everybody's footsteps. I want to always be my own person, you know. That's one thing I always tell people, just get out of your comfort zone and, you know, be your own person. Go see new things, experience new things in life. And I guess that's just kind of what I live by now, you know. Just don't settle, I guess, and follow your dreams for sure. I don't really know what my next step is, but um, definitely, you know, not going to settle for just something simple and what everyone else has in life, I guess. That's a good answer as you could ask for. Well, Nick, that brings us down to the final spit of the night. And we as deer hunters get kind of a vibe about us when we're tracking a deer. And we need to remember to stop being so stubborn and be a little bit more humble with our approach to it. Give that deer time to get bedded down and die in that position. Don't push them out. Give that deer time to expire before you go in there and push him into the next county. And if you're doubtful in the track before you stomp it all up, make it easier on you and make it easier on the handlers of these dogs. Don't push the track. And I think that's the biggest thing I'm taking away from tonight is don't push the track. And uh, Yep, and after you shoot your deer, just always watch the reaction. And, uh, yeah, it went out back out always <laughs> well jc like i said and like nick said we sure appreciate you taking the time to come on and talk with us and i do feel like you're going to have a very bright future i know from the conversations that we've had it's exciting as a father to a daughter to see genuine hard-working females like yourself in the industry that want to do things the right way it gives a reassurance to me that one day maybe my daughter looks to do something like this and have an opportunity to do something like you do and pursue those passions because you, your, your father and your grandfather did it and maybe she can watch that and keep, keep doing what you're doing. You've got a very positive attitude. You've got a very positive outlook on things. And if we can ever help you out with anything, make sure you reach out to us, but I hope I don't never need your tracking services. And I do, I do want to talk with Lance um, at some point. We'd love to do a show with him in the future, and hopefully yeah, we can uh, we can get him on. And um, I'm gonna have to get me one of them uh, on track shirts. I like I like what Alan did for y'all with those shirts. I'm gonna have to pick one of those up for <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, no, we'll have to get you one. So, well, from everybody here at Talk About It Outdoors, we want to thank Miss J.C. Elliott. We want to thank everyone from the on-track team for the information they've provided her to provide to us, and we look forward to a bright and prosperous future and finding everyone's deer. And uh, that's all I got tonight, Nick. So, from everybody here at Talk About It Outdoors, we want to remind you to smile as you go, and don't forget, mouth of memories. <laughs>